Welcome to Fear at the Top, powered by the Industry Observer, where we speak to leaders of the entertainment, tech, and media industry to learn about their successes, mistakes, and how they operate at the top of their class. Welcome to Fear at the Top. You're with Luke Gerges for the Industry Observer, and today we are with the very inspiring CEO, Taryn Williams. She is the founder and CEO of both Wink Models, uh, who have 650 talent models across the country, and a brand new influencer marketplace called The Right Fit, which was launched a couple of years ago. Taryn, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. I'd, I'd love to hear your story right from the start. So I know you started uh, Wink Models at 21, but mm-hmm. take me back to when you left school. How did you start your professional career? Yeah, so I started modeling when I was about 15. Um, so I've sort of always been in the creative industries and I um, traveled overseas. I modeled a lot sort of through Korea and Japan and I just really, really loved the industry. Um, I moved into producing as well. So I was producing stills campaigns and TVCs and um, I could sort of see the pain points for our industry on both sides, so both clients and talent. And I really saw that things could be done a lot better, more efficiently um, and in an industry that was probably traditionally a little bit um, negative and had some negative perceptions about it, I really wanted to transform that and make it a place that was really supportive for both clients and talent and um, decided to launch Wink when I was 21. Um, with the premise that we would really treat everyone with decency and respect and pay them on time, which was a huge pain point in our industry. Um, So we pay all of our models within seven days, um, which is sort of unheard of in our space. We just bankroll all of those payments for our clients. And for our clients, it just means that they get talent who are, you know, really enthusiastic about going to work and who can afford to stay in the industry because they don't have to work second jobs or whatever to um, be able to stay as models. And for our talent, obviously, it means that they have our support and, um, and yeah, it's a career that's financially viable for them. So that's sort of the, the very early days. I studied as well. I went to ANU and studied international relations and, and marketing. So Yeah, cool. So... As a 21-year-old, how do you fund a new modeling agency like that, especially with such fast payment terms? I mean, cash flow might have been a bit tricky. Yeah, definitely learning how to juggle cash flow was um, was a challenging one. I definitely had some savings um, and I was still working myself, so it was a bit of a juggle in those early days. As a model? Or As a model and uh, yep. a producer, yeah. Yep. So I was sort of taking every single job that came through the door to try and uh, keep the lights on. didn't pay myself a salary for the first two years, which I think every business owner goes through those fun initial days and uh, we were really lucky we landed a campaign for Nokia back when sort of flip phones were the big hot new thing and it was a global campaign they booked about seven of our models so it was a really well-paid job and that sort of covered the cost of us getting a lot of the initial setup done um, websites and things like that and you can run a business really lean these days you know it was we had a website mobile phone I didn't have an office it was just me for the first sort of 12 months so yeah and landing a big job like that would have been a huge moment for early on in your company. How did you win that? Like what, what was yeah. the process? I had a really good little black book of contacts um, already from being in the industry for so long and there was no one else that was really nailing the commercial modeling space. So there was really sort of high-end fashion editorial agencies or there was sort of extras agencies or acting agencies and there wasn't anyone that was really looking after that commercial space. So. Um, one of the reasons I launched Wink was sort of in the reaction to the changing in the advertising space. So we saw a lot of brands who were wanting to use more authentic um, types of talent in their campaign. So, you know, a lot of cultural diversity and ages and sizes. So we sort of really moved into that space. And that's definitely something that Nokia were looking for in the campaign was something that was people that were really truly representative of their customer base. Yeah, cool. So you've grown the modeling agency from 
just yourself and your mobile to 650 people on your roster. What did that look like in terms of uh, business growth? Did you have to scale up staff a lot? Like what was what, what does the modeling agency look like as an org chart and as a structure now that there's such a big roster? Yeah, so we definitely had to scale up. Um, so high, obviously hired staff, um, moved into offices. So we've got offices here, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. Um, and one of the things that we realized really early on in the piece was that it was a, a really manual process. A lot of the things that we were doing, like text messaging staff, um, their casting details or waiting for talent to email in um, their call times or overtime after a shoot was sort of really, really manual. So about four, five, probably longer than that now, probably five or six years ago, um, I built an end-to-end onboarding calendar management and payroll integration software because I could sort of see it started out with one of those ideas of what if we could build an app that could check talent availability or what if we, there was a better way to manage overtime on jobs. And so I built this end-to-end, you know, really all-encompassing platform, blissful naivety of someone who had never built a tech product <laughs> before. Um, but it really streamlined and transformed that business. So what it meant was that every time we added more models, we didn't have to add a huge number of bookers to, to be able to manage them because everything's managed through a platform called Wink Central, which deals with all of our talents um, onboarding. So everything from updating their photos, their sizes, tax and super details, um, all of their calendar, scheduling, um, overtime payments, invoicing is all managed all in this one platform. So really, really transformed that business. It removed all the key man dependencies as well. So if we had, obviously, if I was out of the business or if we had bookers leave the business, all of that information was retained in, in the system itself um, and really allowed us to scale. So that was sort of probably the key transformative piece in that business. That's pretty inspiring. In the, in the music business, managers have that issue a lot with key mm. man clauses and um, you know there is no real equity in their business because if they leave, it's gone. But yeah. you've, instead of investing in HR, you've invested in software effectively, yeah. which has completely, completely made that um, redundant, that issue redundant. Mm. Um, how, how did you tell me about how you thought of that idea and how effective has that been actually implementing that? Yeah, it's been incredible. It was a really, really painful process getting it there. Um, obviously, building it was a custom piece of software. So we spent a lot of time looking to the market to see if there was anything out there that we could use or bits and pieces that we could bolt together um, from existing available software. And there just wasn't anything that was really specifically designed for our industry or even for any sort of HR scheduling tool. Um, probably the, the nearest thing was sort of fly-in, fly-out software for miners um, was one of the programs we were looking at. So I thought, well, look, we can either, if we're going to do this, it's such a big transformative piece for the business um, and getting all of our talent and clients to adopt it. So if we're going to go through that pain point, we may as well build something that's perfect from day one. So it was, I'm not going to lie to you, it was really expensive. It was really painful to do it. And More the, expensive than you initially thought? Definitely. I think most tech products definitely go that way. So, And look, it was also um, probably painfully apparent about halfway through that... Um, I definitely wanted more features than we didn't initially scoped. And, and there was definitely, I suppose, from my side that, well, if we are going to do this, we're going to do it properly. Let's add that feature. Let's add the ability to sort by whether or not they've got their ears pierced or, you know, <laughs> what sort of car license they have. So look, we did get a little bit out of control. We probably should have started with an MVP and, um, and something smaller and, and just launched that and then added on features as we needed them. But yeah, it is amazing. It, it really did transform that business. Um, just in terms of being able to add on additional talent 
talent um, and just really streamline all of the back-end systems for us so that we don't miss things like overtime payments to talent. We can really, really clearly see at any point in the business who's working, who's available. Um, yeah, so look, the heart of the business is still built around people, um, both our talent, our client and our internal bookers. So it really doesn't lose that human touch, which was one of the things that I was worried about in implementing a, a tech system in that business. Um, but, you know, our talents still have, you know, a huge amount of face-to-face and, um, and phone contact with their bookers and, um, and us with our clients. But it just means that everything that would normally be uh, difficult and challenging in terms of, you know, our talent keeping a track of call times and things like that is now all really streamlined and easy for them. Have you, are you looking to sell that software to other modeling agencies? Well, originally when we built it, we thought maybe we'll white label this and sell this. Um, definitely was one of the things that we were thinking about. But software as a service, it's a totally different business model. Um, and I just don't think the margins are there in that kind of business model for such a niche product. Um, and it was kind of the reason that we launched the right fit. So um, whilst I was going through that tech build, I thought, God, there's a real opportunity here if we could open this up as a marketplace if we could allow either other users to use the platform, so other agencies, or clients directly instead of sort of removing the middleman of the agency altogether and just allowing them to post their own brief. But we'd obviously built a pretty complex um, and intense system. Um, so I sort of stripped that back and thought, okay, well, what if we could use some of the workings of this platform and the, the key learnings that we'd got through building that first product and build a marketplace that's really user-friendly and allows both parties to interact directly without the need of an agency. So, yeah, building that piece of software was what sort of led to the launch of the right fit. And unfortunately, there wasn't any pieces that we could sort of um, pull out of the initial build and, and use on this. It was a sort of start again project. But we took all of the key learnings, which is, you know, a big part of it. So, so if the right fit becomes as successful as you hope it would be, wouldn't it make your modeling agency redundant? Definitely. And everyone always asks, why would you launch a business that competes with your own existing business and, you know, potentially cannibalize that? But I really do deeply believe that, you know, the fastest way to go backwards is to stand still. And I could see that our industry was ripe for disruption. Like there was the advent of social media influences and the type of talent that brands were using in campaigns was changing. And Budgets were changing because content was living online for a much shorter period of time um, than these sort of traditional campaigns from, you know, five, ten years ago where a TVC would be on, you know, for, for 12 months. And we simply don't have that sort of attention span anymore. So all of those things were sort of happening whilst I was building the platform for, for Wink. So I guess I could see, yeah, the industry was going to change and I could either be the person that was at the forefront of that or someone else was going to do it and we were going to be left behind. Either way, my company was going to be cannibalized by someone, so I figured it may as well be me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a Steve Jobs quote. He said, if you don't uh, do, if you don't cannibalize yourself, somebody else will cannibalize you. There you go. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> Are you still the sole shareholder of Wink Models? I have a um, – so my managing director at Wink is now a shareholder in the business as well, and she's incredible. And it was amazing. When I launched The Right Fit, obviously, I was like, got to go do this other thing. Sorry, like, catch. <laughs> you you run with this one. And she's been amazing. She's um, She's been with me for about seven years and, yeah, um, invaluable to that business. So. And has your revenue you made from Wink Agency uh, been responsible for funding the right fit or did you do a capital raise or how did that work? Yeah, so it funded the business for probably the first oh, six to nine months and definitely paid all the initial sort of build and um, we really got to a point we launched and we sort of had a really tough decision to make. I could continue to keep funding the business from Wink um, and let it grow, I suppose, a little bit more organically. 
Um, or we could make the decision and go out and raise capital and really, you know, throw some money on the fly, fire and grow this thing pretty quickly. So we decided to do the latter um, and go out and raise some capital. Um, we know that marketplaces are sort of a, a winner-takes-all approach and we were first to market. There was no one else doing this. Um, so I really wanted to make sure that we retain that position and that we could hire best in breed. As we all know, developers aren't cheap. Um, and I really wanted, you know, with the first business, I'd gone through the hard yards of um, scaling slowly and, and, you know, having to wait to be able to afford the, the absolute best people to hire. And with this business, doing it the second time around, I really wanted, yeah, the best in breed from day one. I wanted an amazing COO, an amazing CFO, all of those things that make the journey easier and also make it much more enjoyable. So, yeah, so we raised capital um, and with both strategic partners and venture capital and, um, yeah, started growing the business. Was that the first time you raised money for a business? Yeah. How did you learn how to do it? Oh, I had an amazing mentor. I read a lot. Um, thankfully, these days, there's so much information online um, about how to go through that process. It's definitely still really scary and intimidating. And I think, you know, you learn a lot on the job, like any sort of career. Um, but definitely having people that I could talk to about it was really invaluable. Um, I'm really good at, you know, knowing what I don't know and asking for help and putting my hand up and and I think investors are really good as well. You know, I think um, there's no fear in, in saying to an investor, well, you know, what does this clause mean and what does that term mean and what do you need it for and what's the benefit for both of us in, in having something like that in there? And then just making sure you've got a really good lawyer, I think, is super important. Someone that's been through the process before that can sort of walk you through it and go, well, this is normal or this isn't. Mm. And so what did you read? What was the most p- important thing that you read that taught you the most before you started that process? Mm. I mean, there's lots of publicly available term sheets um, on the internet. So you can go and see, like, is, it, is the term sheet I'm looking at, you know, normal? Is that a standard clause? Um, and a term sheet is? So the term sheet is what you would get an offer essentially from an investor that sort of says, here's the top line terms. Are we all in agreement from that? And from that, it would move to a shareholders agreement. Um, so there's, yeah, lots of publicly available information like that. Um, there's lots of amazing meetups and startup groups now, so you can go and get advice from other founders who have been through the process. I also love an American, um, venture capitalist called Mark Suster, who's got a really amazing blog called Both Sides of the Table. So he has lots of incredible advice in there from a VC's perspective, but also from other entrepreneurs and startups that he's worked with over the years. So, yeah. That's awesome. So tell me about, uh, the right fit model how does it make money yeah so the right fits a two-sided marketplace um, for creative talent so we have anything that you need to bring a campaign to life so photographers videographers models actors influencers pretty much anything that you could need whether it's an online execution or tvc or print campaign Um, and essentially we connect brands and advertising agencies to creative talent so pure play two-sided marketplace Um, we don't get involved in the um, creative execution itself Um, so that's handed by either the brand or the ad agency Um, and we have two different revenue streams so we have a subscription model on the talent side so talent can join the platform Um, they can use the platform for free if they want or they can upgrade um, if they want to unlock additional features like um, unlimited photos unlimited video files um, unlimited storage and things like that and then we charge a commission on each successful booking through the platform as well. So we charge the client side and the talent side. And for the client, there's no fee to post a job. There's no fee to um, chat with talent or um, check availability or anything like that. We only charge them when the booking's successful, when they've found the perfect person for their campaign. Cool. So you've got all these investors. You've raised a lot of money. Is the key goal for your board to put as much volume through the platform as possible or is it revenue or what is the sort of key goal over the next 
12 to 24 months. Yeah, so it's definitely growth, obviously. So um, firstly, marketplace, it's really important to find the right liquidity points. So having the right supply and demand for each of our different talent categories. And obviously, we have so many different talent categories, which Mm. is probably a little bit unlike a lot of marketplaces, you know, like in a cleaning marketplace, you have cleaners and people that need cleaners. We have videographers and photographers and models and makeup artists. So it's really important for us to make sure that we have the right amount of supply and demand in each of the locations that our clients require talent in. So that's definitely one of the um, the focuses is making sure that we have the right kind of talent. We screen all of our talent as well. So um, they have to be professional top tier talent. Um, so keeping that quality really, really high. Um, and then obviously get yeah, volume of bookings through the marketplace. So and then repeat rates, so making sure that our clients have a great experience and they come back and that we become an invaluable part of their workflow. So you just mentioned categories there, and I'm going to take a bit of a sidestep. Mm. Obviously, a lot of our listeners are from the music business. Mm-hmm. What kind of work are musicians getting through your platform? Yeah, well, we work with musicians in two different ways. So we provide talent for them for music videos. So we do a lot of music videos. Um, so whether that's videographers, dancers, actors, um, hair and makeup artists, stylists to actually work on campaigns for musicians. And then for musicians themselves, we have a huge number of really different types of musicians on the platform. Traditionally, it's not really so much for live gig bookings, but more so for content creation or collaborating with brands. Um, We work with a lot of alcohol brands and travel brands and things like that that engage musicians, sometimes probably more so for content creation, so um, for video creation um, or to be influencers for campaigns. So yeah, kind of two sides. That can be both sides of our marketplace. And I know I know you've done work with Universal Music. So mm-hmm. what what sort of capacity did they work with you on? Yes, yeah, so we work with Universal, Sony. So when they have music launches, um, when they have events, so through the platform you can also invite influencers and celebrities along to um, high profile media events. Um, we have talent that work with them on interviewing musicians as well and writing long form blog content. Um, yeah, for new album launches. So, yeah. At the moment, you've built up the right fit to, I think, be a market leader in this space. Are you looking at your competitors and who are they at the moment? Yeah, so we're in a sort of unique position that um, we don't have a direct competitor. We compete with offline agencies, obviously. So acting agencies, modeling agencies, management, um, people who manage talent directly. And then in the online space, there's a sort of interesting mix of people that play in our space. So there's um, influencer platforms who look after specifically sort of influencer content creation. Um, there's obviously digital agencies who look after... So examples of that would be, say, Niche that Twitter own and yep. the Jules Lunds platform. Yeah, Tribe. Yep. Yep. So, and they all everyone sort of has a different approach to how they work with influencers. So there's no one sort of directly connecting brands and uh, all fields of creative talent. So... Yeah, it's an interesting space at the moment. I think that's really going to continue to um, develop, especially as more brands move into using influencer marketing. And do you have a specific goal on when you need the business to be profitable? No, look, we're in an interesting position again where um, we're looking to expand internationally. So we've obviously opened the Singapore office, which is our Southeast Asian um, head office. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, so, look, we're still on a growth trajectory here. So we have a couple of different options, whether we get to break even um, and get to profit profitability or if we continue to expand and and that will just be continuing like working with the board and looking at well what are our options here do we want to stay as market leader um is there you know new growth opportunities in new markets that we'd prefer to um you know take advantage of while we're still in this early stage and do you have a vision for an exit strategy yet 
No, I think we've got a lot of growth ahead of us um, before we look at an exit. I mean, potentially a trade sale probably makes sense for us longer term. Um, but no, look, I think I've still got a lot left I want to do with this business before I'm willing to part ways with it. And the board are fully on board with patients or are they, or are some a bit agitated? No, they're really fantastic. We've got an amazing board and they're super, super supportive and, um, you know, they really believe in the business and the, and the growth strategy. So, yeah. So how is it different running the right fit to running a modeling agency? Totally different businesses. It's, um, it's been a real, uh, it's been a real challenge actually learning how to run a high growth tech company. They're definitely two different beasts uh, and, an agency is um, definitely has its challenges and you definitely learn all of the things that you need to learn as a business owner like cash flow management, and HR and um, and all of those things. So thankfully I had some grounding in going through that but a high growth tech company has completely different pain points. Um, you know, we have very aggressive targets to hit. Um, you know, acquisition strategies are completely different to a, a traditional offline business. So it's been challenging. Um, it's been really interesting to learn. And, and thankfully, I have an amazing team who help make all the magic happen on a day-to-day basis. So, so what is the biggest pain point of the right fit? Oh, I think it's just that um, our offering is so diverse in terms of our talent and what you can actually do with those talents. So it's not a um, really, I suppose, narrow offering, which makes it easy to find a, a product market fit in terms of if we were just offering models or we were just offering um, influencers or hair and makeup artists. It's really sort of much easier um, to communicate with your clients or potential clients about what what you can do for them. Um, whereas our offering is so broad and it's also a time in our industry where there's a lot of flux and a lot of change. Obviously, the advertising space is changing. Advertising agencies are changing. Um, a lot of clients are bringing content production in-house. So I think once the industry finds its feet a little bit more, um, it will be easier for our clients to understand at what point in the creative journey the right fit slots into their processes. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's interesting times. And how much do you worry about the actual quality that the influencers or talent deliver for campaigns. I mean, if you think about eBay, you buy a phone case off eBay and if it's shit when it gets there, eBay obviously can sort you out refunds and it seems like it's very secure. Certainly early on in their business, it wasn't the case and people didn't have a lot of trust in eBay and they sort of got through that. Um, I imagine you'd be going through the same thing. Like if you, if a brand books an influencer and then the influencer doesn't show up or is an asshole, yeah. whatever, like you, you, I'd imagine there'd be a lot of concern that that influencer's behavior would reflect on your platform. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons that we screen all of our talent. Um, and then talent get ratings and reviews through the platform. Clients and talent both review each other. So clients can really easily and visibly see the talent's past experience and the ratings and reviews they've received from other brands. So just like eBay has a percentage rating. Um, so at the end of every booking through the platform, you get to leave a review for the talent. And so they can easily see, okay, this person has done 15 jobs and been highly reliable and got five-star ratings. Um, you know, it's a good chance that I can trust this person. You're a very young CEO. Do you see that as being a real challenge than if you were running this company, say, in your late 40s with more experience? Oh, that's a great question. It's really tough to know. I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, I look back on decisions that I was making in my first business in my sort of, you know, mid-20s. I think, gosh, you know, that that was um, sort of young and naive or youthful mistakes. And and so I guess when I'm 40, I'll look back and go, these are things I would have done business, uh, differently in my second business. So I think it's about surrounding yourself with great people, um, having a great board, having great mentors, great advisors that can give you that, um, I suppose, those years of experience that they've had 
that and, and help you avoid some of those pitfalls. I think in some ways it's um, a benefit being young. Um, you know, I'm obviously really connected to our market. I've got a lot of domain expertise and um, hopefully a little bit more youthful energy. Um, <laughs> and maybe I'm at a different um, point in my life to be able to give everything and all of my time and energy and devotion to this business. Um, but I'm sure I'll look back on this business, yeah, with the benefit of hindsight and say, oh, there's things that I would do differently. And, and you know, that's life and growth, I suppose. And uh, as you learn how to be a, a better and better CEO year on year, what's that like sharing those learnings and mistakes with your staff? Yeah, it's it's really um, it's one of the most rewarding things I think you can go through. I think um, yeah, you definitely look back on the way you've handled situations, or you know, as you grow and develop, and uh, you know, having amazing mentors and things like that. You go, go, okay, I'm I'm getting better at this. I'm learning and I'm finding my management style. You know, I think that definitely takes time. No one's a born CEO, I don't think, and um, it's a constant process of evolution and learning and reflecting on those moments and going, how could I have done that better and. And having that, you know, real 360 review process where your team and, and staff feel comfortable to say, hey, you know, on reflection, maybe you could have done this better or um, being able to give you really open, honest and sort of brutal feedback on on how you can improve, I think is really, really valuable. And, and they know, they obviously know I'm a young CEO and they know that I'm learning um, and developing and and um trying to be better at what I do. So yeah, it's, um, it's really great. It's great having a team that are, are fully on board and, and completely champion the business as well. I think it makes them um, really bought into what we're doing and, and me as a leader. Taryn, thank you so much for your time today. It's uh, really inspiring. I want to ask you one last question that we ask everybody. <laughs> and that is, uh, what is the biggest mistake you've made as a CEO since you started The Right Fit? And what can we learn from that? Oh gosh, so many mistakes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I think like being able to acknowledge those and go because I think everyone thinks God, you know, not no one thinks business is easy, but I think everyone sees the external and goes, "Wow, it's you know, they've got it all together and they've never made mistakes." I've definitely I've made lots of mistakes in both my businesses. Um, definitely key hires that were wrong. Um, trying to do too many things at, at once. Um, I, I, I do love a shiny object, and that's one of my <laughs> key learnings: is that I need to not love a shiny object and really, really try and stay focused. So. Probably for us, it was um, very early in the piece. We decided we were going to try and launch the New York offering and our Australian offering at the same time, um, which was just really naive in that we could try and do both at once. So that was a real challenge. We already had, you know, someone on the ground over there um, and we were already sort of investing in developing that market. And so that was really hard. That was a tough learning lesson that, you know, we'd spread ourselves way too thin um, early in the piece and that we really needed to get focused on um, just doing one thing really, really well and really making sure that we had product market fit here in Australia before we look to expand. So that was probably, yeah, the biggest early mistake, I think, for us. Um, yeah. Taryn, thank you so much. It's uh, it's truly inspiring and I really hope the right fit just turns out to be everything we expect it to be. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really thank appreciate you. it.